welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, I want to invite Emily, or introduce you to Emily and Laura. These are our Advent artists for this, uh, this week. And so if you're new to Awaken, we've done this the last, uh, I think the last five years or so. But uh, Emily's going to share a piece that she made, and Laura's going to uh, share a piece that she's written. And so please welcome Emily and Laura. Good morning, Awaken. I don't know where to stand, so I'll just chill right here. Uh, my name is Emily Short, and I have a piece for you this morning called the star in the east, a hope that burns brightly. And when tasked with creating a piece for the Advent season, the themes that kind of came to my mind were that of hope and longing and desire. And for whatever reason, that made me think of stargazing and the amateur astronomy I enjoyed growing up. And that was not a far leap to the star in the east and the three wise men. So, oh my gosh, I just completely forgot what I was going to say. Um, no matter what that they think that the three wise men were kings or scholars, they were definitely astronomers. And it says in several translations of Genesis that when God created the stars, he created some of them to be useful for marking seasons, for uh, marking events and tracking time. And they knew that. And when they saw this star appear, they didn't just sit back and think, oh, wow, a new star, that's really great. They were motivated by such hope and longing and desire to know what was going on in the universe and to be a part of what God was doing that they packed their bags, they packed gifts of treasure, and they journeyed for what could have been as long as two years in order to get where the star signified. And once they got to Herod and then continued on to Jesus, that hope and that desire inspired a boldness that caused them to defy a king and to sneak back a different way. And that's the kind of hope and desire to be a part of what God's doing that I want to have. Hope that inspires boldness that borders on recklessness. So. I came to know the slow flicker of the votive candle in the months after my mother's death. How it lights brightly, then dimly burns as the wick's wax coat drips slow. The wick burns black, tip to base, and when the flame reaches the candle body, it ignites again. I walk to the St. Paul's Cathedral every Tuesday morning this spring to light a flame for her. I found beauty in the repetition, the solitude, and the act of going to meet her there. I went in spite of the God she loved, the one I thought had played a cruel game with me. Believe in him, and I would see my mother again or believe what I felt, that at the most God was heartless and distant, and at the very least nothing at all, and I would be rid of hope, and my mother would only ever be a box of ash and bone. My mom taught me that Christ is love manifested, that grace entered the world through him. But she was the grace I knew, kind, humble, unassuming, and quick to forgive. She was my first love, and her body grew and carried mine. She was my creator, my soul's passage to earth. Now I, wake, now I wake, I sleep, I dream of her. Do you remember dying, I ask? Can you see us, speak to us? In my dream, she sat next to me dressed in blue. I put my hand on her knee, her shoulder. I looked away for a moment and she disappeared. She was there and not there. She is here and not here. What is it that the dead become? Is my mother just ash to be buried, scattered, 
breathed by birds, us. I dream instead she is a spirit loosed, free to speak and move in a different way. She is real to me, then, now, still. She is more real to me than the vapor god of whom I've never dreamed. He is figment and fog that spills through my hands, invisible always. Some days I have felt his presence acutely, but most days it is faint, like the cold light of a dying star. Those days have stretched into weeks, months. Love is veiled and my eyes are cloaked in mud. And yet, and yet, my mother is everywhere. I can still see her every detail. Her gray streaked hair and blue eyes, the freckles on her shoulders. Love, return to me. Take me back to the water. My throat is dry and the land is dead. Take me back to the mountain where you live and let me build a home. Take me back to the bright and breathless sky or bend down from the clouds and walk among us because down here the fog rolls thick and I grow weary and wanting. Well, good morning, friends. How are you? I don't know. Uh, uh, when I woke up this morning, I had like two. That's not two. I had two. Maybe I had three, and I don't know what the third one is. I had two distinctly different reactions when I saw the snow. I was like, yes, finally. And I was like, oh, crap. I probably got to go take care of business before, you know, I got to get the snow out of the way so that when I get home today, it's not like the ice tracks of your car back and forth over and over. So it was like this mixed. But it's like it's finally here. It finally feels like Christmas. Uh, and this is my absolute favorite time of the year. I love, uh, actually, more than Christmas morning, I love Advent. Because for adults and for parents, let's just be honest, Christmas morning is kind of a drag. Uh, you have to deal with unhappy children who you just, you know, maybe gave a lot to, and they're like, is that it? <laughs> not, that our, my ki- not that our kids are not thankful, but, you know, there's like, is there more? They're just wondering if there are more, more presents, because opening presents are fun. And then you have to, like, put them together, or as they've gotten older, they have devices that maybe come into the play. And then now you're setting devices up, and uh, last year someone got, like, a Windows machine, and I have, I'm a Mac person. I had no idea. I was like, I don't know. I surrender. Uh, good luck. To this day, I don't know that her computer is still set up properly, but whatever. Um, So this is my favorite time of the year. I love it. I love it. I love it. It's a time for us to get ready so that when Christmas morning shows up, it's not empty. It's not just, you know, wrapping paper and Legos that we're stepping on, but there's more to Christmas because we've taken the four weeks leading up for Advent to put meaning into it, to remember that there is a waiting, that there is a, a time of preparation. Last week we, uh, we started our Advent Conspiracy series and we, uh, we talked about what it would look like if this Advent, if we spent less, spent less money. And then we wisely sent you out to go s- not spend that money at the craft fair that we had up and we have down. Well, this week we're talking about generosity, so I think the craft fair, you know, maybe if I do my job well, uh, they're going to have money pouring out their ears. Um, and so we're talking about generosity or what it, what it means for us to give more. The God that we come here, that we gather around this morning to meet with, to experience, to cry out and say, where are you? To seek, to remember, he is a generous God. But he doesn't just do generous things. 
He is generosity defined. He defines the word. He gives the word its meaning. And every action that he does is generous. Generosity is inside everything that he does in our world. And scripture tells the story over and over and over again of this generous God. From in the beginning, how he made us in his image like him. And then he gave us this world to work and to care for. And how when we mishandled it, how he continues to come back and pursue us and invite us to to turn around, to turn back towards the right way. And what happens amazingly in this story, over and over as people encounter a generous God, he invites us, he invites them to become generous like him. To take on his character and his nature. The Christmas, uh, the Christmas Advent Nativity story, whatever, however you want to like label that, I think is the best story in all of scripture to talk about this, to look at this. This moment where we see God's generosity towards us on display in the most humble, vulnerable way. Right, the creator, a helpless infant. Our culture uh, even gets how special the story is, right? Like, just as like a, a secular, non-Christian, America, Western civilization culture, we get Christmas. We practice it. During Christmas, uh, our selfish, materialistic consumer tendencies, those, you know, yucky things about us, uh, they take a turn towards the selfless. Instead of going into massive credit card debt, buying junk for ourselves, things that we don't really need, we buy and do that for other people. (laughs) Right? I mean, it's a step in the right direction. It's, you know, it's uh, almost close enough, you know, you'll get there. It's, It's what you do. That happens. We decorate our homes. We make them warm. We make them safe places. We feast together. Maybe too much. But that's what a feast is. A feast is always too much. We buy our friends and our coworkers coffee and hot chocolate. You show up with the you know the carrying thing and you only had room for four unless you got eight, right? And hey, why? Merry Christmas. We let people ring bells in front of stores, loitering and essentially begging for other people. And it's like, yeah, it's Christmas. That's what you do. Our culture understands the message. We're generally kinder to each other. We're more gracious and generous unless uh, we are at the mall and we're looking for a parking spot to to go do our our Christmas shopping. That is a blood sport. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So what I want to do this morning is I want to tell you a particular part of the Christmas story Uh, The Annunciation, which is just a fancy word for the announcement. And it's the moment in the Christmas story where the angel shows up and says, guess what? You're pregnant. Mary, Joseph, you're going to be a dad. It's that moment in the story. And so I want to tell this story, and I want to ask you to consider one simple question as I tell the story. 
How is God inviting you to be more generous? I'm going to invite you to stand uh, as we read from the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke together. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. For no word from God will ever fail. Let's pray. God, we come to you in the name of your son Jesus this morning. Would you give us eyes to hear, eyes to see, ears to hear. And would you remind us that no word, no promise from you ever fails. Guide us to you this morning. Amen. I love how... uh, just Mary's favored. I don't know that I want to be favored. <laughs> right? Like, if, if being highly favored is that, I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, are, are we ready for that? Is that something that we're ready for? Did you know that the uh, poorest people in many developed countries are wealthy by global standards? For example, the poorest 5% of Americans earn on average the same as the richest 5% of those people living in a country like India. If your uh, income, if your annual income is at least $34,000 a year, you are part of the global elite. You are in 
the world's top 1%. I think that's a sobering number for us to, to think about. And uh, part of why it's sobering is in the Christmas story, most Americans, most Westerners, probably most of us in this room, uh, we have more in common with the Romans than we do with the Jews. In other words, if we were going to do a Christmas pageant and our parts would be assigned to us, you know, based on who we are, most of us would play, uh, there'd be a lot of Herods in the room, not because we're evil, but just that, you know, we're in the 1%, or we would be Romans. And this isn't about whether God loves the top 1%, right? This isn't, uh, it's not about that. God loves every single person, and he's working his redemption in every single story. But the Christmas story doesn't play out in this part of our world. It plays out in the middle of nowhere, uh, in, in the middle of an oppressed people that are living on the edges of society. They're marginalized. They're a conquered, uh, they're a conquered people. When my grandma, my grandma passed away a couple years ago and she left me some gifts. Um, she left me four gifts and four, uh, three of the four were awesome. Uh, she left me an old prayer book. She left me my, uh, the, the kid's Bible story about Joseph. You remember those? They were, you know, flimsy. And, and it was mine from when I was a kid. It had my name written in front, Danny. That's how you knew it was me when I was a kid because I've had the NY on the end of my name. Um, she left me a rosary. And then she left me this box, which I was really excited when, um, when my aunt gave me this. I was like, oh, this is going to be great, right? What? What else goodness will be in here? And so I opened it up, and uh, I pulled, started pulling stuff out. There's a nativity. Oh, this is going to be great. So I, you know, I put the pieces down, baby Jesus, and uh, where are they? There they are. Joseph and Mary. And as I started to look at them, they were all chipped, which, you know, I was like, that's okay. But I was like, they're not, I don't really like this. It's kind of kitschy. Um, right? I was like, the first three were rad, and this one I'm not really sure that I'll ever put out. I'll probably just put in my cupboard, and, you know, someday it'll, it'll matter. Um, she has notes on it talking about where it came from and that, the, uh, there was a lady at my great-grandma's nursing home who painted them, and she, she loved this, uh, this nativity set. And I just was like, and I don't, part of the reason I, don't, I didn't really care for it was I don't like the, um, I don't care for the nativity sets that are like, hey, let's put the nativity in another culture. Like, let's make them Japanese, or let's, you know, like, let's take the story and dress everybody up differently. Just didn't really like it. And so this was, this was a Native American set, and I was like, ah, I don't know, not my thing, whatever. And so this weekend I was, you know, pacing back and forth in the kitchen, and I was talking to my wife, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, we're the Romans totally in the Christmas story. We're the Romans. And what would Mary and Joseph have been, right? They're oppressed, they're persecuted, they're marginalized. The Romans rolled in and stole their land and took their land and conquered them and put them somewhere else. And I went, oh my gosh, my grandma gave me a Native American nativity set. That's who they are. And now, wow. Right? It might, 
actually be the most special of the gifts that she left me. Mary and Joseph were not wealthy people. They were not people of privilege. They had next to nothing. And this invitation from God to them to be generous was only going to cost them more. It was going to disrupt their plans. But when the angel came to Mary and to Joseph and said, God's going to do this thing in you, they did not say, you should find someone else. You should find someone with more resources. We're too poor. Mary and Joseph were generous in their poverty. When it looks like, uh, when it looks like to Joseph that Mary is, was unfaithful, that, you know, Mary's pregnant and it's not his, he decides to treat her according to their law, but to not be mean about it. Right? He's not going to embarrass her. He's not going to ruin uh, Mary's life. He's going to be gracious, and he's going to be generous. He takes a path that he doesn't need to take, but then the angel visit comes. And Joseph gets up from his dream, and he says, all right, Mary, the angel told me the same thing he told you. Let's do this. And he did this at great cost. Because you know, right, like, the same disbelief Joseph had about Mary's story, you know everybody else had. I mean, what would Joseph's mom and dad have been saying to him? How about his friends? Can you just like, if you, if you close your eyes and you think of it, can you hear just the mumbles that would happen when Joseph would leave the room and he's like, oh yeah, yeah, it's, it's good. Uh, you know, it's, it's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> yeah, we've heard that one before right? Nice try. Joseph, at best, looks like a fool. And Mary looks like something worse. Mary actually leaves her home to go spend time with her cousin Elizabeth. Why? I mean, think about that. It, did she leave because it was so bad where she was sta staying, where she was living? that she needed to go to another town, she needed to find some anonymity so that she could endure this without enduring the shame and the loathing of the people around her. Mary and Joseph, in this story, they were generous with their reputation. They let God have access, and they gave him their reputation. How could God be inviting us to be generous? You can either use the term uh, adoptive father with Joseph, which is, that's what you normally hear. Uh, but I think stepdad would probably be a more accurate, uh, you know, way of explaining the situation. Because there was a biological parent in the thing, right? So there was this, it wasn't like Mary and Joseph decided, hey, we're going to go adopt a child. There's this bizarre power difference that is sort of, you know, could be at play. 
And either way we talk about it, if we want to use the word adoptive, we want to use the, the term uh, step-parent, the one thing that we can't do in this story is pretend that it's a simple family situation. Th this is complex. I mean, how do you parent the Son of God? Right? What do you, what do, you do? What do you do with your notion of God when he's got a dirty diaper? Like, that's not the mighty savior we'd been hoping for. What happens? This family dynamic and what it does to, to the picture of God is, is really complex. And if you're a parent, you know that parenting is hard. Step-parenting is hard. It's complex. I'm a, I'm a dad, but I'm also a stepdad. And one of the things that I've been uh, slowly figuring out over the last seven years is how to, how to do those things well. And one thing that I can say is true across the board, uh, especially in the situations of, of, of being a stepdad, is you have to be generous. If you're not generous, everything blows up really, really fast. Nobody actually says it, right? I have never heard this. But you know in the back of the mind is, you're not my dad. Right, like, imagine that dynamic between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph is thinking about this invitation that God is giving him, and Mary's going to do this, and the, you know, the baby's going to be in Mary, and he's like, all right, well, I'll pay the, you know, I'm going to pay the bills, and, 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 and what am I going to do when he gets older? Like, what am I going to teach him? How is this relationship going to work out? But Joseph counts the cost, and he's generous, and he says, I'll be an adoptive, I'll be a stepdad to Jesus. It's, a, it's, it's, it's interesting to be in this space, uh, an old Catholic church and uh, a lot of people we have uh, a lot of people have baggage, had bad experiences growing up, um, and one of the things that that gets talked about a lot is um, the Virgin Mary, and it's over the last few years I've I've started to grieve how the evangelical church feels and talks and thinks about Mary, and. When I just take a step back and I look at this story, Mary gives more than anyone else in the story of Scripture besides God. We should hold her with the same esteem that we do Moses or David or Abraham or the prophets. Right? She physically had God inside her. Just imagine what that, I mean, we talk about that. Did you, you know, some of us have, you know, and you invite Jesus into your heart. Mary's answer would be, nah, but he was in my womb. <laughs> like, whoa! Christ was literally formed in her. 
stretch marks. And what did that do to how she saw the work that God was doing? Mary was generous with her body. She said yes physically to what God was doing. Now one thing I think is really interesting in this story is there is zero mention of money or finances. Did you notice that? Not once is it talked about. It doesn't come up at all. The best story, one of the best stories that we have about God's generosity towards us has zero to do with stuff or things. And why is that? Because it's not about money. Fundamentally, generosity has nothing to do with your wallet, your credit cards. It has everything to do with your heart. And what will you do when God speaks to your heart and invites you to something? Something that maybe is beyond you. I'm going to invite the the band to come back up. So let's go back to that question. How is God inviting you, me, us to be generous? Is he inviting you to do it in your places of poverty, in the places where you feel inadequate, where you maybe don't think you have or you are enough? Is he inviting you to be generous with your reputation? Maybe he's inviting you at lunch. Maybe you hear this every day when you sit down at lunch. Go sit with that kid. You know the kid nobody wants to sit with because he's weird? Go sit with him. Ah, but what will they say? Like, what will my friends say? Will they still be my friends? Maybe God's inviting you to that. Maybe he's inviting you to stick up for someone in a situation where you see somebody in need. But what will it cost me? Or maybe like Joseph, you're being stepped up to be a generous parent. Maybe you're a step-parent, your step-dad, step-mom. Maybe you're a step-kid, and you're just thinking, there's no way this can work. Is God whispering to you to put some generosity into practice, to give more than you're looking to take? Is that invitation to be generous there to us as, you know, as regular, whatever that means, to be a regular parent? Maybe it's how we parent our parents. That's a fun relationship, right? Like, uh, now I'm telling, you know. Or maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you need to parent your spouse. That's my wife. Uh, is God inviting you this Christmas to be generous in how you Live in your relationships. Or maybe God is asking something physical of you to be generous with your body. Maybe it's when you go home today, you shovel out your neighbor's driveway. Just that little teeny tiny action. And you might go, ah, I, got, I don't have a snowblower. My neighbor has a snowblower. He should do it. Yeah, but you're the one who heard the whisper. Or maybe... He's telling you to go run a marathon on behalf of the needy. Or 
Maybe he's calling you and he's inviting you to something crazy like giving an organ up for someone. I have a friend uh, who just posted on Facebook yesterday. I've kind of known about this for a while. The last four weeks, five weeks, they've been running tests and tests and tests on him because he knew someone, not somebody particularly close to him, that needed a kidney. And when he read the prayer request and he heard that so-and-so needed a kidney, he was like, I'm supposed to give my kidney. Greater love has none other than this, than he that would lay down his life for his brother. I don't even have to lay down my life. I can do this. He spent the last four weeks, he wrote, you know those Facebook posts that are like this big and there's not a space in them? He wrote one of those. And guess who's getting more out of this situation? He's given up his kidney, but he has life inside him about this. Maybe God's calling you to do something absolutely crazy like that. It's a physical invitation or maybe he's asking you and inviting you to be generous to yourself maybe you've been working too hard maybe you're burnt out maybe you've been trying too hard and you have these massive expectations for yourself that you never ever 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 meet maybe you feel like i have been being generous to my mom and my dad and the people around me you know and maybe what you need to hear this morning is be generous to yourself have some grace for yourself Maybe you need a rest. Maybe you need a nap. Maybe you need to figure out what it means to Sabbath, to rhythmically rest in your life. Now, imagine what it would have been like if Mary and Joseph would have said no to God. What do we miss out on when we say no to God's invitations? What do we miss? What don't we get to see, don't we get to be a part of? When we say yes, like Mary, like Joseph, we find ourselves partnering, partaking. We find ourselves becoming more like Jesus, generous, caught up in his life. They said yes to God, and Jesus literally pops down into the middle of their home. When we say yes to God's invitation for us to be generous with all we have, he is formed in us. We become more like him. He becomes more present in our lives. When we say yes to God's invitations, like Mary, like Joseph, we find ourselves joining and collaborating with the huge work that God is doing in our world to make everything right again. Looking in this story, there, yes, this little baby begins the work of making all things new again, the renewal of all things. Their, that's what their yes brings into the story. When we say yes, when we follow the voice of, of God in our lives, when we practice the way of Jesus, when we, be, we behave as generous people, we participate in bringing the life of God, the restoration of God into our world. That's, what's, that's what doesn't happen when we don't say yes, when we ignore that small voice. Uh, 
awaken our vision. It's a big, big statement. It's that we would be partnering with God in the renewal of all things. I know this is my first official time preaching here, and I know that pulling like out the vision statement is like a, you know, hey guys, I'm really one of you move. Okay. However, it's what this story is about. Mary and Joseph are partnering with God in the renewal of all things. They said yes. We will be generous in our poverty with our reputations. We're going to step out and do something I don't know about. How do you parent Jesus? Yes, God, I will give you my body. They said yes to that. And in the process, in that moment, in that place, they partnered. They grabbed God's hands and they walked into the world with him. And they got to see God bring new life and renewal and resurrection and hope and joy where it wasn't before. Amen? That's what we get to do. That's what we want to do. And that's what's at the very center of the Christmas story. So the question, how is God inviting you to be generous? And what are you going to do? What are you going to do with it? Friends, this Advent, don't just buy stuff. Don't just decorate your house. Don't just go to parties and come to church. Yes, do those things. But say yes to those places where God's inviting you to be generous. To give more. Let's pray. God, we come to you in the name of Jesus. Vulnerable. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, but more than that, would you make us brave to hear and then live what your voice is inviting us into. Disrupt our lives. We love you. Amen. Amen. Friends, in Emmanuel, in Jesus, we have received God's generosity towards us. So go and share the generosity that you have received. Grace and peace. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com. 
backslash Awakening Community. Or on Twitter, Awakening Community. See you next time.